0: Up close with Carlos Sang, celebrating art, entertainment, and the human spirit. Uh, welcome to another episode of Up Close with Carlos Sang. My next guest is best known for his work in Holby City but he has recently made his return to the London stage. He is about to star in a brand new play by Ian Hallard at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith. Uh, I am so excited to be introducing David Amos to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so... Ian Hellard, you know, he's a really well known actor and writer. You know, what was your first reaction to reading his script and what was it that made you want to be part of this project?
1: Uh, I've known Ian for quite a few years now. Um, Ian and I originally did um, a reading together of Boys of the Band before they actually put that on as a show um, at the Park Theatre, which then transferred to the West End. And so Ian and I have worked together, but we sort of see each other, have seen each other socially at events and things like that. Um, and uh, Ian contacted me about this new play he'd written and it was the first little baby he wanted to put out into the world. And he sent me through the script, and I was able to have a read of it. And I just thought, this sounds great. It sounds right up my street. It's it's about a subject that I find fascinating. It's um, very funny. It's about uh, sort of, you know, a loving relationship, but set within the parameter sort of a sort of sex dungeon, which, you know, that capacity really appealed to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrew Beckett, who you're working with as well, uh, of course, was uh, artistic director of, Art of Above the Stag, which sadly closed recently. Um, how has it been working together? And were you familiar with his work at all as well previously?
1: Uh, I wasn't particularly familiar with um, Andrew's work. I knew of his reputation. I knew of the work he had done. Um, I hadn't seen any of it. Um, but I heard who, very dear friends of mine who have worked with him um, uh, how much they enjoyed the process with him how how great he was as a director how approachable he was and, and that the rehearsal room was a very fun space to be in um, which obviously is what you want when you're doing a comedy so, um, so yeah I, I I heard nothing but wonderful things about Andrew from, from the very outset so that again as, uh, alongside Ian's brilliant writer uh, is what really made me go okay this sounds like a project I'd like to be involved with
0: Yeah, you're getting to play um, two characters as well in the show, uh, Tim and Butterfly. Um, What can you tell us about these characters?
1: Well, uh, Butterfly is is kind of just an alter ego of Tim. But Tim is a larger-than-life gay man. Um, He is someone who is the life and soul of a party. He's also highly strong. He's also overly dramatic. He's also... He fits into, as he says in the play, he conforms to a lot of gay stereotypes that we see, which I found really interesting because as somebody of the LGBTQ plus community, um, myself, I have played different uh, gay characters, obviously, um, in Hobby City as well. And it's always been something I like to toy with because playing, um, as as we tend to call, stereotyped gay characters sometimes gets frowned upon or gets undue flack, I think. And it's, uh, you know, overly flamboyant, particularly camp, sassy characters are such a big part of our community. Um, you know, and, and our characters that we end up absolutely adoring, you know, you, you have Tom and Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. You have Jack in Will and Grace. You have even back to John Inman um, in Are You Being Served? you know, it's been such a huge part of our sort of televisual psyche for quite some time, um, as well as on stage, obviously. Um, and I think it's important to portray every spectrum of these uh, characters in our midst. And uh, as time is going on, we are getting more LGBTQ plus characters who are of a different uh, walk of life, or who are who are particularly, let's say, heteronormative, who uh, have different, uh, you know, draws in their life. They, you know, they, they did not necessarily, as, as we began this conversation by discussing Britney, you know, so it, there is this whole plethora of people, there, there are gay men out there who don't conform to any of that whatsoever. And as long as those stories are being told as well, then I think that's only a good thing.
0: Definitely. Um, I mean, of course, I also remember coming to see you in Steve as well earlier in the year. And I was so moved by that um, story and by your performance as well. Um, I didn't realise it had been, you know, almost a decade since your last onstage appearance as well. Um, you know, how has it been? You know, Has it been challenging at all, you know, transitioning back into theatre?
1: It's been very challenging. You, you get used to a way of life with television, you know, at any point. You can go cut, sorry, can I go again? Um, you know, if you, if you drop a line, you can just repeat the scene again. If it, you know, there, there is so much that is controlled. But theater is a beast. And theater, once it begins, once that curtain goes up, or uh, that's it, you're on that stage and you've got to make that work. And of course, there's room for be able to sort of muck up here and there. You know, that's what theatre is. It's live. It's it's inevitable that at some point that's going to happen. But um, like I say, it's such a different uh, muscle to use um, because you, you are on the ball every second of the entire performance. Because you know as soon as you drop that, that's when you'll miss a cue. That's when you'll ruin someone else's line or you'll jump over a piece of script that has some important information in that the audience need to hear. So it's not only a huge stretch of your memory as well, you know, uh, this play is particularly verbose. Um I am on stage the entire time and it's it's approximately a hundred pages of dialogue and action that you know myself and Jake and Matt, because as we're the ones that are on stage the entire time, uh, we've had to just absorb and to know, and to know inside out. And that's quite a lot to, you know, when I say that to my friends, because so many of my friends like to kind of poo-poo what I do and be like, oh, must be really tough, people getting you coffee and you remembering things and pretending to be someone else, basically playing dress up every day. And yeah, there is an element of that, guaranteed. But it is also, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, mind work. You've, you know, you're remembering where you need to go, what you need to say, how you need to say it, what else do we need to do to set the rest of the scene up? And you've got to also, we haven't even taken into consideration yet that the audience responding, this is a comedy. We're going to have to leave moments where the audience is still laughing. So there's so, you're, you're spinning so many plates. It's quite a different experience to TV. They both have a place in my heart, but, um, but it is very, it's a very different experience, as Steve was at the beginning of the year as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, as I say, I loved Steve, Um, you know, it was, you know, just after Stephen Sondheim had passed as well, you know, there were loads of, you know, Broadway references, Um, you know, what was it like, you know, getting to work alongside, you know, someone like Jenna Russell as well, who is so, you know, linked to Stephen Sondheim and, you know, getting to um, play the brand new Seven Dollars Playhouse?
1: It was an incredible experience. The Seven Dollars Playhouse is an amazing theatre and is a really intimate, wonderful space. And I think what they've done with the place is really quite wonderful. And I, I hope it goes on to do many more productions. And I'd, I'd love to go back there at some point. You know, it would be really wonderful to do. Working alongside the great cast that we had, um, Giles Cooper, Michael Walters, Nico Conde, um, Joanne Reed, and Jenna Russell was... It was a real dream of a cast. They were really incredible people, very supportive of each other. And uh, Jenna, of course, that was a huge thing. Having, having Jenna Russell playing a down-and-out waitress um, who was obsessed with quoting the lyrics of Sondheim was a real kind of uh, nod to, to any other sort of aspiring young actor. As, you know, obviously she has met Stephen on several occasions. She knows him. She one knew him and was, you know, heralded for her performance in Sun-Eam, The Part With George, alongside many others. So that was a real, it was a real dream for me. I'd heard so many lovely things about Jenna. Not only that, she lives near my friend Dawn Steele, who they know each other about. Dawn played my mother in Holby. So I knew Jenna through Dawn, as in I, I knew of Jenna. And what was wonderful is we just got on like a house on fire and it was just, it was a really joyous experience to sort of work alongside someone like that and, uh, to share anecdotes and share a stage with. Um, and, you know, we, we enjoyed our performance every night.
0: Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned as well, you know, we've seen a number of shows recently that put gay men in the centre of the story, you know, from Steve to Cock to Afterglow to Horseplay Now. Um, why do you think now feels like such a relevant time to be spotlighting the community?
1: I would say, I think people have realized the success and the, the enjoyment that it brings people. Um, off the back of shows, even like It's a Sin, which deals with such a tender subject, the power of those performances and the script and the direction of that, I think proved to people that there is, there is a lot to be told of these stories. This is, a, this is a community that has always been around. We've always been here we've always been a part of theatre, we've always been a part of film and television, we've always been a huge uh, sort of role um, and uh, to suddenly sort of shine a spotlight on our stories and our hardships I think is just something that people have gone actually that's I didn't know that and I find that fascinating and it's interesting to to listen to to the tales that have been told by these people. Um, It's I think, yeah, I think particularly for a straight community as well. You know, we're obviously fascinated by our stories. We want to hear more of them. And it's it's, you get the full support of the community um, when there is a show that puts us up on a pedestal and says, look, this is fascinating. This is a story that needs to be told. And I think because we're, for so many years, we're kind of starved of being given a mainstream platform, on which to tell these stories. You know, the, the shows that we think about which tell gay stories from the last sort of 40 years, you can kind of count on, I mean, like both hands, but think of the amount of stories that have been told in that time. But you've got um, so, so much sort of, you know, on Broadway, off Broadway sort of plays. You've got things like Boys in the Band, which was, you know, groundbreaking at the time. You have, yeah, I mean, just, there's just so many sort of queer texts out there. Um, But now seems to be a really poignant time to to sort of bring them to light and put them on a big stage and invite people along. And I I think people have just responded so well to that. At the end of the day, these stories are making money. These stories are being told. And, you know, we'd be lying if we said, you know, we didn't realise this was called show business. Do you know what I mean? And I think people have gone, listen, these stories have been, been yearned to be told and let's give them a stage. Let's see what happens. And due to the popularity of it, it's continued, so I hope it does continue to as well. You know, looking through things like Netflix and and you know Apple TV and stuff, there's so such a heavy weight of sort of queer-based shows now, and I hope it continues up, um, reviving certain shows that maybe didn't get the the air that they needed to at the time, and and you know to tell a story that perhaps was based in the 80s, like The Normal Heart, which I saw at the National Theatre. Uh, this year, last year, I can't quite remember now. And, uh, you know, and you realise the popularity of it. The Normal Heart was up for numerous Olivier's. Um, And uh, that that was a fantastic thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting as well to see, you know, how throughout history, you know, gay men have been very much linked with the theatre, with the likes of Noel Coward to Cole Porter to yourself. Um, What do you think it is that links, you know, gay people to the theatre?
1: I would say escapism. Um, I think over the last you know, uh, for let's say 30, 40 years, things have gradually gotten into a slightly better position socially for um, in our community. But it, I mean, there's a hell of a long way to go. And there are signs across the world that is things are stepping backwards. You know, you only have to look at the United States and even here with regards to, uh, you know, our community, particularly trans people, which is revolting what's happening to trans people across the world um, with with rights being uh, rolled back or sometimes just denied altogether. And the theatre, TV, books, the arts is where, you know, our communities survive and tell stories through and keep our community, you know, alive through, through regaling each other with, you know, different stories about different times and how people dealt with things in different ways. That's, I mean, that's, that's a universal thing. But within the confines of, let's say, um, you know, theatre and TV and stuff, you know, it's, it's a world of make-believe. And I think escapism for so many people who perhaps came from a different, back from a difficult background, maybe you know, weren't accepted by their parents, went out and made their own family, you know, uh, their chosen family. And, uh, and I think it's really something that, you know, I know that I, at the age of like 15, 16, sort of discovered the world of old sort of Hollywood movies. I became obsessed with like I was I was watching, you know, Marilyn Monroe movies, I was watching Judy Garland movies, um, I was listening to sort of old school music, and, and I kind of found this world that I found really fascinating. And I think we find those those sort of things. It's, I, I I was having a conversation recently um with a friend of mine. Uh, regarding sort of sci-fi, fantasy and how, you know, you get, you get a huge, you know, there's a huge gay community who uh, follow Star Trek, Doctor Who, all these huge sort of um, ornate worlds that are created. And it's because for a lot of people, upsettingly, they had to create those worlds themselves because that's where they felt most comfortable. And also within these communities, particularly the Marvel universe, um, the DC universe, Um, Star Trek, Doctor Who, they were on board with our community from the start. Or if not, they gained our community's trust and respect whilst telling snippets of stories, if not sometimes whole stories that involved our community. And I think because of that, there was an acceptance there. There was an acceptance that within this world, we're fine. And I think social outcasts, shunned by society and the community. I mean, it, it, it's, it's there in front of us. Um, and I think that's why we delve into, into theater, into music. We lose ourselves. And, you know, particularly for those who have been marginalized, who have been put upon, that's where they go to, to feel themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, over the recent years as well, you've established yourself as a bit of a sex symbol in the gay community as well. (laughs) Um, You know, you've done, I mean, you've done like photo shoots for like Attitude and Gay Times and you've played openly gay roles. Um, How do you keep yourself feeling safe when working on shows or photo shoots where you are putting yourself in more vulnerable positions?
1: Um, I would say most theatres and sets are safeguarded to a degree obviously that's not the case for a lot of people sort of considering everything that weinstein and um, regarding sort of numerous other people over the years with regards to women's saving particularly um, and uh, well you know there's also sort of uh, moments where that's happened with uh, our community as well um, it's a question of trust you know you've got you've got to feel you're in a safe pair of hands and if you're not you need to talk to someone and make sure you try to try to illustrate that as clear as you can if you can that's sometimes difficult to do um you know it's an industry where over the years people have used power with which to control people you know uh you know you do this for me and i'll i'll help your career kind of situation but that's that's luckily never something i've ever encountered um and uh it is. It's. It's difficult in in so many different industries, in office blocks in the city. It happens across um all all occupations. For me, particularly, you know, I I take a lot of things with a pinch of salt. I'm a very tactile person myself. I am, you know, we're in this play that we're doing now in in a horse play. It discusses sex. It talks openly about sex. There's sort of physical touch between us and the characters, and we at every point you know if you don't have sort of an intimacy coordinated there it's a case of going to each other and going are you okay if I you know if I do that it's, it's about trust and respect and I think that's just something that uh, wasn't sort of safeguarded for some people um but I think people have become so hyper aware of it now it's made it a much more tolerable um, and uh, much safer environment but like I say you know for me I've always been made sure um, by the powers that be in whatever environment I'm in, that I feel safe and that I feel um, that I can talk to anyone if I don't feel comfortable with something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In horseplay, you know, a lot of the story revolves around, you know, a sex dungeon. And in today's society, you know, we've become a lot more open and comfortable talking about, you know, our sexual desires, you know, kinks, fetishes. Um, Why do you think this is? And do you think this is a good thing?
1: I absolutely think
0: it's a good thing. I
1: think openness with sex um, is something that we just don't do enough. I, I think, you know, it's something we all do. We wouldn't be here otherwise. To sort of talk about these, these things and to talk about our bodies and our, our feelings and our, our lusts and discuss it openly with a sexual partner or with an actual partner, it's a healthy thing to do. You feel less alone when you start discussing things like that. I think so many people worry about their bodies and worry about how they feel with regards to sex. And I think it's so important to be able to discuss if you're, you know, if you feel that way, you know, because you might say that even if you have a friend who you can be open with about that kind of thing and just be like, is it weird that I don't really like that? They might turn around and go, I don't either. Someone else who doesn't. And it just relieves you of that, of that burden because sometimes you start sort of retreating in on yourself, and you don't allow yourself to kind of be who you are and and feel what you feel. You know, I think this play particularly just kind of uh, pedestrianizes uh, kink and sex, and just says, look, we've all got things that we like. You know, we've uh, you know Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, really opened a door on that because all of a sudden, in the mainstream, we were discussing kink and sex, and and it kind of held a, a mirror up to it and said, look, we all do this. We all have things that we enjoy, that we like, and you know, you can try something. If it's not for, you know, consensually, you can try something and if it's not for you, you know, you can just go, do you know what? No, I'm okay with that. But I, I think to just hide away from it and just be like, oh no, I think it's oh, it's awful. And you know, you shouldn't be discussing this. I, I that's just not for me. I, I don't tend to surround myself with anyone who thinks in that way.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you yourself are also about to turn forty. Um, how would you describe <laughs> how how would you describe you know, life in your thirties, and what do you hope you know for the upcoming decade? You know what, my life kind of changed when
1: I turned thirty. It's when I uh, when I started on Holby as a regular, and all of a sudden my world did change. You know, I became somebody who was in the corner of people's living rooms um, every Tuesday evening. Um, and was able to tell stories about my community and was able to embody them um, as somebody from that community. And that was really eye-opening for me um, artistically, and um, you know, also it was it was fascinating to have people come up to me, telling me how certain stories have affected them, um, how they had it mirrored what they had experienced, particularly with the sort of uh, psychological and emotional, physical abuse that I, uh, you know, that my character had in Holby at the hands of um, of a partner. That was something that really moved me and, and sort of changed um, my mindset so much. Um, during my 30s but in a general I just realized saying no is a really nice powerful tool and I don't mind when friends cancel on me because I'm quite happy to have an evening alone (laughs) and I think that's something in your 20s you know early 30s you're still a little bit like oh you know I want to be liked and I've got to a point where I've got an incredible group of friends around me I've got an amazing family And that's, you know, I don't have such a vast group of friends anymore. I have a a lovely little tight knit sort of group of people that I really enjoy spending time with. um, And I've got a lot of time for. And I think that's something that my 30s through until my 40s has kind of helped me Home. I surround myself with people I want to be around. And I try not to spend any time, to paraphrase Kim Cattrall, I don't want to spend any time doing something I don't want to do. And, you know, uh, and I think that's really what it's done for me. It's kind of, you know, I think with age, you become wiser and you become wiser about different people in your life and how you feel about them. And uh, I think ultimately, you realise you only want to put yourself in a position that makes you happy Um, and you only want to make other people happy. And so if you've got both of those in balance, then you're doing all right
0: absolutely um yeah completely agree uh, on everything um yeah just as the last question as well um what would you say is the best part about being david amos
1: oh. <laughs> oh crikey um the best part about being me laughter i try my hardest not to take anything too seriously i suffer with anxiety um and have done in the past quite badly at times um mm-hmm. And my way to combat that is to just find the humor in everything. And I try to find it in friends, in partners, in, in whatever. I, I, I need somebody in my life who will make me belly laugh. And it's, 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 I feel like Wally when he's recharging um, in front of the sun. And I feel like I, if, I'm, if I'm getting myself into a low place or I say low, not so much low, just in a, in a stressed place. And I, I've got a lot on my mind. You know, I'll go and spend uh, a couple of hours with my friend Lindsay, or I'll go and see my friend Sean or or Mikey, or whomever, and I belly laugh for a good few hours, and it's like it just it just eases everything out. And I think because of that, that's become such an intrinsic part of me. I try to do the same for other people, and I try to lighten people up and and be funny and and crack jokes and bad jokes. Um, but I would say, luckily. Yeah, I, I, I am able to do that 99% of the time. And uh, so I would say, yeah, laughter with me is, is the loveliest thing about uh, being me is people around me that make me laugh and who I want to make laugh.
0: Amazing. Uh, David Amos, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Pleasure, Carlos. Thank you so much for your time.